BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, summer movies. It's Top Gun Maverick that's topping box offices. And who knew Minions, The Rise of Gru, would spawn gentle minions with teens showing up to screenings in formal suits? Meantime, Jordan Peele is hoping audiences will find his alien horror flick, Nope, just as scary as the summer classic Jaws. The idea was if people can leave a, a movie feeling about the sky the way they felt about the water after Jaws, then I'd be in a prime position to torment them for at least several years. Our blockbusters back after two disorienting pandemic summers? We discuss after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Audiences return to theaters in droves this summer, even in this the third year of a pandemic. Credit Top Gun Maverick, which only opened in theaters with Tom Cruise himself thanking you for coming. Our extraordinary cast and crew gave it their all to bring you the most immersive, authentic, and entertaining cinematic experience. There's real jets, real popcorn on the biggest screens exclusively and only in the theaters. Whether it's nonstop action, beach scenes, or nostalgia, summer is the time for movies. We want to know what you think of this year's offerings or what movie screams summer to you, a favorite you revisit every summer, and why. You can post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, email forum at kqed.org, or call 866-733-6786. Our summer movie panel today includes Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Thanks so much for having me back. So glad to have you back. Felicia Viator, Associate Professor of History at San Francisco State University. Felicia Viator, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. And Dave Schilling is with us, contributing writer for LA Times Image. Hi, Dave Schilling. 
Hello. Always a pleasure to be with you. Well, welcome back. Let me start with you, Dave. What is your favorite film of this summer? Oh, I mean, without question, it's Nope, because <laughs> it is a movie that both packs in tons of visceral summer movie thrills and makes you think. I feel like that's the only thing I want from a summer movie is some kind of mental stimulation. And you don't always get that with these films. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Jurassic World Dominion, <laughs> a movie I felt like made me not want to think ever again because it was starting to hurt my brain. <laughs> um, so I love Nope. I just thought it was delightful. Jordan Peele is, is a master of cinema. I actually find it interesting that you like a summer film that makes you think because I think of summer films as total escapism. Well, I'm a snob, first of all. <laughs> that's part of it. The second part of it is, you know, I, I, I think that's what makes movies special. With television, you turn on your TV, you watch Netflix or Apple TV Plus or HBO Max, and you're kind of on your phone and you're not really paying attention all the time. I think most people interact with TV now as a, a, almost a passive medium, sort of like a podcast or, or, you know, something like this, a radio show where you're kind of doing other things while you consume the entertainment. Yeah. A well, movie requires you to pay attention. And so I want it to be smart. I see. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Let me see, Kristen Meinzer, if there is a summer movie that hit the mark for you and if, if thinking is one of your requirements. <laughs> well, my very favorite movie of the summer is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And I went into it thinking, hey, I don't know what's going to happen here. It'll be cute. Maybe it's a kid's movie. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but I loved this movie. It doesn't have any of the bells and whistles of a traditional summer blockbuster. There aren't special effects in a in a real way. There's no CGI. It's, you know, stop motion. And it's a shell with shoes on and his grandmother, she's also a shell with shoes on. And we just watch the two of them uh, as they are documented by a human in their everyday lives. And we follow Marcel's journey to try and find the rest of his family. It is so sweet. It is so gentle. And much to my surprise, I cried off and on throughout the whole movie, which, again, isn't usually what people expect of a summer blockbuster. But I adored Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Oh, another surprise. Thank you, Kristen, for your pick. Uh, Felicia Viator. I understand that you went back to the movie theaters this summer, maybe more to the theater than even in the past few years. Was there a summer film that brought you back? It's true. I have seen more films in the last three months than I think I've seen in the last three years. Um, the first movie we saw was actually, uh, I have a small son, so we went and saw The Bad Guys. That was the first film I saw in the theater this summer, but um Top Gun Maverick. I have to go the escapism <laughs> route. Uh, Top Gun Maverick was by far my favorite. I loved Nope. And I did love the fact that I thought about Nope much later after I left the theater. But yeah, I just enjoy Top Gun Maverick. Um, you know, <laughs> Tom Cruise gave us everything we wanted. It's just a clear cut storyline the payoff in the end is fantastic. All those stunts practically done. 
uh, were just um, mind boggling. And I have to say, I saw Top Gun in 4DX and that experience was also pretty exhilarating. So I just, um, pure escapism for me. <laughs> so 4, 4DX for the uninitiated, what is that? Uh, so 4DX, it's been described as fully immersive. I've heard people describe it as a kind of roller coaster ride in the theater. I've described it that way myself. Um, but I actually think the better analogy is it is very much like a theme park ride in the theater because it's a little bit roller coaster, a little bit bumper car, a little bit haunted house. You're getting kind of the full sensory experience with fog machines and strobe lights and the seats move up and down and back and forth and side to side. Uh, you might even get a little elbow in the ribs from <laughs> device uh, embedded in the seat. It's just, um, it's wild. And I think worth trying at least once. Uh, well, Dave, what do you think about that? I, this is of course something you cannot get from watching a film or streaming a film on your couch, this 4DX experience. Add to that the whole thing that we played in the intro with Tom Cruise thanking everyone for coming and building a lot of excitement before the film started. Is this, you know, the the secret sauce for theaters, you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the experience, the excitement, the anticipation, the payoff, that's all so important. The collective experience of seeing a movie with other people is important. Now, I have done 4DX. I did 4DX in 2020 in, I believe, February for Sonic the Hedgehog, the original, uh, right before the quarantine started or around there. It was like my last movie that I saw. And I was underwhelmed by this. It was, I, I thought I was like in a lawn chair and someone would shake me periodically and then shoot a super soaker full of water in my face. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. I was not into it, but I understand people are. And anything that gets people to the movies is good. Anything that makes it a, an experience and an event is good because like you said, that is really what makes it special is that kind of immersion into a world. This, the lights go out and the screen kind of like the, the curtain comes, uh, it, it, like it parts itself and you see the screen and it's so exciting. Um, I love it. Uh, there's nothing like going to see a movie. And I think that's why everybody loved those Nicole Kidman AMC commercials. Oh, right, right. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, that is what I like about the movies. It does make me feel something. So it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, do you have a sense of why Top Gun? I mean, are you surprised by the success of it for this summer? It only opened theaters in theaters. I understand it's like already the U.S.'s seventh highest grossing film ever. What do you think it was? Well, I mean, one, it was theater only. Two, Tom Cruise. Uh, I think he still has a lot of goodwill with audiences. There was, of course, a period of time where he was kind of a pariah in, in Hollywood because of his connections to Scientology. But there was a point when the Mission Impossible movies became these, these very simple, fun, crowd-pleasing uh, entertainments that people said, ah, Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Isn't that cool? He's such a great guy. He's so fun. I have this nostalgia for my childhood because he was the biggest movie star of my childhood. So we're, all of that's going on. Plus, this is one of those movies that kept getting postponed. It kept getting pushed back, similar to No Time to Die, which wasn't as successful, the Bond film. Uh, from last year wasn't nearly as successful as um, Top Gun. 
Uh, I think that because of this hype around when is it going to come out? Is it ever going to come out? Tom Cruise does these wild stunts in this movie. I got to see it on the big screen. And he constantly talked about it. We're not putting this out on home video. We're not streaming this. We are going to put this in a theater. So it became an event around the time when people were starting to feel physically comfortable going to a movie theater. So I think it was really like a perfect storm of all of these elements and the right timing for this movie where they planted their flag and said it's going to be in a theater only mm. uh, for that movie to, to be so explosive and successful. Well, funny enough, a couple of comments we're getting from listeners are not super crazy about Top Gun Maverick. Katie writes, Top Gun Maverick did not blow me away. I can't even pinpoint what I didn't like. I thought the mission was ridiculous. My brother was a Marine. He agreed. I like Tom Cruise and all respect to him for doing his own stunts. And I am happy it was successful. Greg writes, isn't it just geezers and fighter jets? Is that really, is that actually interesting? Felicia, are you going to take this? I mean, you say No, absolutely not. I'm not going to take it. Um, I, you know, it's hard not to have respect, I think, for Tom Cruise as an entertainer. No, you know, whatever you think about Tom Cruise, the man, I think, um, this film and this experience and you know that that introduction that he offers before the first scene of the movie that first scene when he's riding his motorcycle along the tarmac when maverick is riding that motorcycle along the tarmac it's so iconic but just the that genuine um uh the the appreciation he showed to us the audience for coming to the theater. I think for me, that was, um, that sold it. That sort of teed up the whole movie for me um, in part because like so many of us, I was anxious to you know, go somewhere to be entertained, deliberately leave my home to sit in a movie theater, turn off my device and just be entertained. And he provided that. It was, you know, it sort of felt like a gift um, in, in that way. And I think, you know, people will feel how they want to feel about Top Gun. Um, I think the people have spoken in, in terms of um, the box office uh, numbers, but, you know, certainly any movie that draws us out to the theater and allows us to experience, um, as Dave said, you know, that collective, that collective experience, that collective joy in being entertained. I think that's, that's what's important right now for movies to come back. And that number is 1.3 billion. Felicia Viator, associate <laughs> professor of history at San Francisco State University. Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image. Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. We are talking about summer movies. What makes a summer movie? The summer flicks of this year and the ones we revisit from summer's past. And you can tell us what yours are by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or giving us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For our future forum show, we're talking about how the Inflation Reduction Act will give Medicare more bargaining power in negotiations with drug companies, and that's expected to lower prices for expensive diabetes, heart, and arthritis medications for millions of Americans starting in 2026. Are you struggling to afford prescription drugs? Leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300 if you'd like to tell us your story, 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking about summer movies and what makes a summer movie and the summer movies of years gone by that you like to revisit. You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, calling 866-733-6786, or finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. With us is Felicia Viator, Associate Professor of History at San Francisco State, Dave Schilling, a contributing writer for LA Times Image, and Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Jesse writes, I just saw Nope this weekend and loved it. I don't know exactly what the premise was and was pleasant. I didn't, I don't know exactly what the premise was and was pleasantly surprised. It was a creepy, it was creepy fun. All right. So Kristen, we were asking people to tell us what movies from summer's past scream summer movie to you. We kind of touched on what um, or at least what Dave looks for in a summer movie. But can you tell me, like, what would you say makes a summer movie? Well, I hate to say it because it drives me nuts. But one of the hallmarks of a summer movie is it is targeting a male audience. There's the assumption there that you are young, you are male, you have money to throw around. Uh, and that always has just, oh, it drives me nuts. Uh, it's just one more excuse for Hollywood to invest all of their money in movies with male protagonists where the only reason the women are there is to say, oh, Jeff, be careful out there. Don't get killed by the zombie. <laughs> and uh, th- that just drives me nuts. Uh, another hallmark of a summer movie, uh, a blockbuster is obviously the action, the special effects. These days, it also means frequently there's not a ton of dialogue because they want to export that movie overseas and make even more money off of it. Um, but my favorite summer movies, uh, you know, I hate to say it, I often fall for those movies. Uh, I love the Indiana Jones movies still. I love E.T. still. I love a lot of those original early day 1980s blockbusters, and I will watch those again and again and again. However, I do love that in recent years, there's been more counter-programming. There have been more movies with women at the center, where women get to actually have agency, where we still get, you know, great sets and splashy design and so on, but um, the, the women get to talk. For example, Crazy Rich Asians, that was a summer blockbuster a few years ago. Not a traditional action movie, but still just so much fun and such great escapism. (laughs) <laughs> What's a movie you like to revisit, Dave Schelling? And if you have any thoughts on what Felice, uh, Kristen was saying earlier about summer films, feel free to add. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly a an eye towards 
the male demographic, but the summer movies that are the most successful are the ones that often work for every demographic. You know, they talk about the four quadrants with a feature film is how do we get all of these different types of people, young, old, male, female, to come to the theater and watch a thing. So it does have a male gaze, certainly. I mean, I think it would be disingenuous of me to say that um, the male gaze is not in every summer movie, even romantic comedies that are quote-unquote counter-programming. There's still a male gaze there. But well, Before you tell us if there's yeah. a movie, you, what movie you revisit in the summer, do you think Minions, The Rise of Gru, oh. hits those four quadrants that you're just oh. talking about? I've seen it twice in theaters <laughs> with my son, and every time I have a great time. Um, I love Minions. I'm sorry. I know I said earlier I need to think when I watch a movie, but this is the one thing where it's just like, just cut my head open, take my brain out, and kick it like a football. I don't need it anymore. These little guys entertain me so much. I'm like a child talking about them. Yes, Minions, for some reason, appeals to adults as much as children. And I think it's because they don't speak English. Uh, they speak this kind of patois sort of like stew of various languages that the voice actor Pierre Coffin is uniquely able to do because he speaks so many different languages. It's like a silent movie on some level. And uh, I just find it so appealing and kind of throwbacky to have these characters who you don't know what they're saying. You only are able to understand them through their facial expressions and how they're animated. I, I just think it's very neat. Um, but what did my you favorite, think of, oh, yeah. yeah, of the of the gentle minions um, hashtag and and teens showing up wearing full suits. I was disturbed it. by it at first. You <laughs> never know what the what the what the origin or genesis of one of these memes is, and it could always be something insidious, and you don't find out until later, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I encouraged this. Um, but I think it's fun. Any anytime people do something um, to make a movie an experience or an event. I'm for it. Um, that's why I see movies that I've seen a million times in, in repertory theaters. One of my favorite summer movies of all time is Ghostbusters. Um, I nice. think it's one of, yeah, one of the great um, kind of like templates for how to make a, a modern summer blockbuster work. It's got comedy, it's got real thrills, it's got great special effects, and it has a story that's easy to follow. Uh, I think the, uh, the original 1989 Batman is probably even better at that because it also had the ubiquitous marketing of the Batman logo and the soundtrack. Ghostbusters obviously had a great soundtrack too, but Prince doing all of the songs just struck me as such a, a unique and remarkable uh, decision from Warner Brothers to just like give him the thing and say, do whatever you want. Minions, Rise of Gru has a great soundtrack actually where they got St. Vincent and Tame Impala and I think Diana Ross did a song with Tame Impala for that soundtrack. Um, those things make me feel like, hey, this is not just the movie. It's also a multimedia experience. Well, Chris writes, my local theater, the Stanford Theater in Palo Alto, just reopened. It's been closed throughout the pandemic. It's showing movies from Hollywood's golden era. This weekend, they're playing The Philadelphia Story with Cary Grant, Kate Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart. All right, Felicia, for you, what is a movie that just says summer to you that you tend to watch or to put you in the summer mood? You, you bring it back out every year. <laughs> so I'm going to give two answers on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, I'm a mom. I have two kids. So um, for the last 
13 or so years, I have associated summer movies with animated films. So it's, it's, it's almost as if when I start seeing those billboards for, <laughs> for the new Disney Pixar film uh, of the year, it, I know summer's coming. I know school's about to let out. Um, I know my semester's about to end and I can take my kids to the movies. Uh, I look forward to that. So I tend to associate summer movies with kids' movies. Yeah, but um, before I was a mom, <laughs> the things that I would enjoy seeing are horror movies um, by far. That was the thing that I was into the most. And so the the summer movie that I remember the most is um, Blair Witch Project, which was from I think ninety nine. And uh, I do remember just getting out of my college semester and seeing that film in the theater, a packed theater, and the, it was just the ideal theater experience because everyone is reacting together, laughing, screaming, <laughs> jumping. Um, and even when we came out of the theater, the theater staff had hung these little um, <laughs> stick figures from the tree. And if you've seen the movie, you know why that would freak all of us out. And it was just, you know, just this unique experience that is all about being in the theater, seeing a movie together on the big screen and, um, and that, that joy. So that's, you know, for, for me personally, as a horror fan, I associate, um, my best summer movie experiences with seeing horror. We're talking about the summer movies we revisit from Summer's Past with Felicia Viator, Dave Schilling, and Kristen Meinzer. Kristen, why do you think horror movies do so well? Is this an extension of the, the male, gaze male audience focus or do you think there's something else about summer that says this is the time for a horror movie oh well historically the traditional summer slasher movie uh was very male gaze heavy you're off at camp crystal lake and you know you're if you're a girl you're gonna do things like take off your clothes and make out with the fellow camp counselors and so on and the men never take off their clothes but the you know the the girl camp counselors always do so there's definitely an aspect of that in there and there's an aspect of the girls get punished for taking off their clothes the slashers go after those girls they go after the boys too but you know, it's mostly the girls getting punished. And uh, usually at the center, there's one girl who's running and screaming through the whole thing that will hopefully make it out alive. So uh, I, I definitely think that there is a history of a lot of these summer slasher movies uh, coinciding with summer themes, those camp themes and so on. So I think there's that there. But I also think of so much of what's fun about summer, uh, something that's already been talked about here on the show, is the amusement park feeling, whether it's coming from the actual seats shaking or going to a theme park. And I feel like there is kind of a theme park feel to horror movies. There are those ups, those downs, those lulls, those moments of just screaming your head off. And if you're sitting next to me in a horror movie, you're going to have to prepare yourself for screaming. You're going to have to cover your ears. I will scream and scream and scream and afterward I'll feel like I've been on a fantastic amusement ride like I was at Disney riding Space Mountain and I think a lot of us love that about the summer is just having those out of life out of ordinary life adventures something that does not feel realistic at all and just feels like a thrill <laughs> what is that thrill for you listeners you can tell us by posting your thoughts on twitter facebook or instagram at kqed forum by calling 866-733-6786 or by emailing forum at kqed 
Org. Grace writes, if I'm flipping through channels on the TV, I will always stop for Air Force One with Harrison Ford because I saw that movie with my dad and he was uniquely tickled by that film. This is the same man who slept through Star Wars when I was a kid and dismissed it as a slightly boring samurai movie. So watching my dad cheer for Harrison Ford just made me laugh so random. Ash writes, first time I visited the U.S. was July 1994. I remember watching True Lies. It was awesome. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Action. Comedy. A movie that didn't take itself seriously. Thanks for that, Ash. Dave Schilling, Jaws came out summer of 1975. And I bring up Jaws because I think the Guinness Book of World Records considers it the first summer blockbuster and it's what everybody thinks of um when they think summer movie even jordan peele was hoping for his success to be similar to jaws his summer movie i'm curious if you've thought about the impact of jaws on today's summer movies or what we consider summer movies well i i think one of the most important things that jaws did was remind audiences and filmmakers that holding back is better than showing everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not surprised that Jordan Peele talked about Jaws when he uh, was was doing press for Nope, because Nope follows that, um, that kind of rubric to a T, the idea that the alien in that film is something that you see in fits and starts and little glimpses as opposed to constantly seeing it. And then the reveal of it at the end when it kind of opens up and starts doing whatever that thing was with the box inside its mouth or whatever. Um, similar to when you see Jaws fully pop out of the water uh, toward the end of that movie. Now that was, of course, um, partially a practical concern because they couldn't get the shark to work consistently. It wasn't a magical, like brilliant artistic decision. Mm-hmm. It was an unfortunate circumstance of their budget and the um, the kind of issues around getting mechanical things to work in the water. But it showed us like, wow, if you just hold back, if you um, suggest things, suggest dread, suggest menace uh, with all of the many wonderful techniques at your disposal as a filmmaker, you can entertain people more. And I think that that is often what makes a great summer blockbuster. I think about Independence Day, and that's a movie where you don't really see the aliens that much. Uh, you see the glimpses of the spaceship, and then you finally get that that amazing um, beginning of the movie scene where all the cities are destroyed. And like it's 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 giving people a little bit, taking some things away, knowing when to push buttons and when not to. <laughs> Well, here's Joseph who writes, movie I revisit every summer, Jaws, duh. <laughs> Let me go to Art in Santa Rosa. Hi, Art. Yeah, hi. Um, I don't hear much mention of the Elvis film. Mm. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, it seems like uh, Tom Parker, which is well played by, uh, let's see, I, know I forgot his name. Uh, Tom Hanks did a great job, and so did, uh, I think it was Aaron Butler who did the star role. Um, there was some, were some things left out. However, I thought it was pretty accurate, and I, I loved it. I One of my high points in my life was seeing Elvis with my first wife in Las Vegas. 
uh, a couple of years before he went down. But I always, uh, always loved Elvis, and I thought it was a great film, and I'd just like to hear a little more about it. Uh, sure. Well, I'm perusing Kristen and Dave and Felicia's list of films they saw this summer. Did any of you see Elvis? It's not here. I did. I did. Oh, see. This sorry, is Kristen. Kristen. Yes. I don't know why I don't see it. So talk about Elvis. What did you think? Well, you know, it's like any Baz Luhrmann movie. There's going to be a lot of sparkles, a lot of spectacle, a lot of, you know, razzle-dazzle. There's definitely all of that in this movie. And one thing I think the movie gets really right is capturing that pure magnetism, that charisma of Elvis, that thing he brought to stage that made girls want to rip off their bras or underpants and throw them on the stage. They really <laughs> capture that in this movie. People were cheering and screaming Fourth of July weekend when I saw this. It really felt electric watching those scenes. I would, however, say that... Um, the rest of the movie, I don't think, was as good as those scenes on stage. All of the scenes on stage, I could watch those on a loop forever. They were so good. Um, but I think that the movie really should have just been called Elvis and the Colonel. It's not really about anything else other than how the Colonel, Tom Parker, was uh, mismanaged all of Elvis's career, mismanaged his money, uh, took advantage of him. Uh, broke him down and pretty much used him as a puppet to his own whims. And so we don't get a huge big picture of who Elvis was outside of his relationship with Tom Parker, unfortunately. And the scenes I felt were kind of repetitive. It's like, oh, here's Tom Parker being mean to him again. And I would have loved some more nuance, some a, a bigger, broader picture of either their relationship or of Elvis's life more broadly. But I will give it again to those stage scenes. They are spectacular. They are electric. I would watch them again and again. Well, Art, thanks so much for bringing uh, Elvis into the conversation. And uh, Tara writes, the smartphone has ruined the theater experience for me. Individual persons check their phone, text, or multitask during a show. It speaks to our inability to concentrate as well as disregard for others. Illuminating phones sporadically turned on is so rude, and few theaters enforce a no-phone rule. Sounds like, Felicia, we may need to remember some of the ways that I guess we're supposed to behave in theaters to make that experience more fun for everybody. Did you notice this when you were there, going That's to more theaters than usual? Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't notice that. In fact, um, and I have been to, as I mentioned, I've been to several 40x <laughs> movie experiences and also the standard uh, big screen movie experience. And I haven't noticed that um, with the 40x. It may be because it's such an immersive experience that if you have your phone on. Um, it might fall out of your hand, frankly, um, because you're jolted around so much. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's important to turn your phone off. I go to the theater for that reason. Um, and, you know, maybe others should do that as well. We're talking with Felicia Viator, Associate Professor of History at San Francisco State University, Dave Schilling, a contributing writer for LA Times Image, and Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. We're talking summer movies, what makes a summer movie, the summer movies of this year, and the summer movies of years past that you love to watch. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. I 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking summer movies of this year and years before with Kristen Meinzer, co-host of Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, Felicia Viator, Associate Professor of History at San Francisco State, and Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image. And of course, you, our listeners, are sharing your summer movies. Susan writes, Men in Black, the original only. I can't speak to the sequels. A simple, satisfying plot and the cool, unruffleable awesomeness of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Carolyn writes, my movie of the summer this year is Nope. Being able to watch it with friends scared out of my mind. One friend patting my knee every time I jumped and then analyze it with friends on a hike and then dissect it with anyone who shares that they've seen it. That's summer to me. Ooh, sounds kind of like you, Dave. Some real thinking about <laughs> your summer movie. And then also we've got here Kara tweeting for me at Star Wars and the Blues Brothers jailhouse the jailhouse rock let me go to celeste in san jose hi celeste thanks for joining us oh hi oh i just wanted to mention that i really like like the elvis movie it was kind of long but i enjoyed the you know the history of it and the tom hanks acting and it was well done Um, great so glad you loved it yeah also the um movie every everything everywhere all at once was a great movie and it it came out then it had a re um showing and it's excellent you know it's really a lot of action and crazy ride kind of people should go see it it was about a lady who um she's being audited by the tax department jamie jamie lee curtis is the tax gal yeah chinese so so i I recommend that movie yeah, yeah, yeah. So Michelle Yeoh uh, is the star of that, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis does play the auditor. Dave, can you talk about everything, everywhere, all at once? We've had a few people mention this one to us, and uh, I mean, the su- the success of this has taken some people by surprise. Well, I mean, I think movies. Well, first of all, this movie came out in March. I want to I want to lay the groundwork for That's a true. theory, an important. I don't even a theory, but a, a rule about summer movies. They have to come out after um, Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a traditional kickoff of summer movie season. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a spring movie. It came out in March uh, of this year. Uh, it is a great film. It is not to me surprising that it was successful because it had heart, it had action, and it had great performances from everybody involved. I think that's really what you want in an art house kind of film. But I, I would I would bristle at the notion that it is a summer movie. Mm. Well, that's true. That was one of the rules that uh, 
I think you had mentioned in a pre-interview that it's generally May to Labor Day, right, is sort of the movies that come out Pretty in much. summer. Um, but uh, so thanks. You know, we, we need to be a little stricter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I got to crack the whip every once in a while and make sure people stay in line. Well, Lulu writes, I have this favorite trilogy that I rewatch every summer before sunrise, before sunset and before midnight. It makes me feel like a teenager again, and it makes me want to be super spontaneous and take risks and follow my heart. Donna writes, the movies I rewatch in summer are The Way Way Back and Crazy Stupid Love. Lots of romance being mentioned here. I guess that's a part of it, too, when we think summer. Right, Kristen Meinzer? Yeah, I mean, I I think a great example of that, uh, uh, Rest in Peace, Olivia Newton-John just left us yesterday. Yes. And a lot of us, when we think of summer movies, we think of her most famous movie, Grease. You know, she and Danny, they meet on the beach over the summer. Uh, and that's the opening of the movie. And can they make this love from the summer last through a school year when they're so different from each other? But yeah, romance is definitely a part of a lot of summer movies. And I personally love a summer romance. Uh, I My favorite summer romances uh, this year, unfortunately, didn't come out on the big screen. They came out on the small screen. I love Fire Island, but that was, again, a small screen movie. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. That came out on the small screen as well. And I love that we can stream summer movies now, but uh, as said earlier, there is something very special about going to the cinema, being surrounded by other people who are laughing and crying and cheering alongside you. And um, But yeah, they, the summer romance thing, it's real. It definitely is. It's interesting you bring up streaming. Felicia, I want to ask you about this, actually, because one of the things that I feel like I've been seeing with the success of um, box office uh, at the box office of summer blockbusters is that there have been more articles saying, see, we told you streaming is not competing with movie theaters. It's not competing with cinema. Do you think that's true? Well, it's interesting. I wonder... I wonder what will happen in the fall um, because as Dave mentioned, uh, you know, some of these films aren't actually summer films that came out a little bit earlier, came out before Memorial Day. Um, and that's a weird limbo for some of these films that would normally come out in just theatrical releases. You had some films coming out in the early part of the year that were split. Um, and so you would have some, some films uh, opening in a few theaters, but then also quickly going to streaming. And I wonder how that impacted the box office numbers because, you know, there were some films that my family waited to watch. Many Disney films, we just decided we would watch them on streaming um, and we would just wait for them to come out of the theaters. And so I think, you know, it, it's curious what will happen come fall, whether you'll have studios and filmmakers that will be thinking about, okay, we're gonna limit our theater release and then make sure that folks can get this on streaming because they're, you know, they're it's not the summer anymore and people have more limited time to watch those films and, and what will happen in terms of how, um, how those films will be marketed. Mm. Dave, what do you think about this whole question around streaming versus cinema? I mean, it's not really a question to me. I think it's it's purely a a capitalist concern. It is mm -hmm. it is about profit. It is not necessarily about the art. Um, I try to see every movie 
whether it's on streaming or in a theater in the same light. You know, obviously there are circumstances that are different. Um, I'm at home on my phone, as I said, or I'm in a theater wrapped and uh, in, in paying attention because I have no choice because I would never text during a movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the there's there are commercial concerns and we are, we're looking at that uh, playing itself out with HBO Max and the Warner Brothers Discovery merger and the head of that company saying, you know, we we don't necessarily see profit in a theater for a small movie. They, they, they consider streaming movies small because there's smaller budgets. Uh, and so they, they, there, there is a, it's a, it's a capitalist concern. It's not an artistic concern. It's like, mm. we think we can make this amount of money on this thing. And if we put it out in a theater, it's going to cost too much to put out because you have to factor in um, the amount of money that a theater chain gets from ticket sales. You have to factor in the cost of marketing a movie in theaters, um, various things that you wouldn't have with this, with a streamer. So um, I just try to see them as movies. I, I want to just watch them and enjoy them. And, and, and the business aspect of it or the distribution aspect of it is, is sort of like somebody saying, I'd rather listen to a CD than, than vinyl or, or vice versa. You know, it's, yeah. it's the music that's most important. Well, or the all, movies in this case. Yes, right. Well, with all the talk that movies are back, Kristen Meinzer, you've also just been talking about how it's important, and I assume film studios will continue to do this, but to still emphasize streaming uh, just for equity reasons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does seem that the streaming services do have more movies overall, including summer movies, that center women, that center people of color. Uh, for example, I have to bring up Prey, which is the most recent movie in the Predator franchise that came out on Hulu, I believe, and it is fantastic. It centers on Comanche people and, of course, a Predator alien, uh, but uh, at the center is a female protagonist who is working to defend herself and her people, and it is fantastic, and thankfully, unlike a lot of the summer blockbusters in the cinema, it is not overstuffed. It is not two hours and 50 minutes long. It is one hour and 40 minutes, and every minute is perfect. It doesn't have to be blown out. It doesn't have to make people feel like, oh, well, I spent $22 to be at the cinema, so I better get $22 worth of minutes on the big screen. It's not trying to do that. And so I do appreciate that a lot of the streaming movies are just trying to make good content. Mm. Well, let me go to Paul in South San Francisco. Hey, Paul. Yes, hello. I don't know if anybody's mentioned this yet, but the movie that has been blowing up my socials all summer, I think the biggest movie this summer is not in theaters. It seems to actually be Prey, which is the Predator prequel. Oh, yeah, right. We just I talked about it... that. Yeah. What What did you okay. like about it? Um, I, you know, I I thought it was, it, it, it's hard to describe. Now, now that I'm kind of on the spot, of course, I'm at a <laughs> loss for words. But uh, Amber Mid-Thunder, the girl who played uh, the lead, Naru, is astonishing. I think she's going to be a huge star a couple of years from now and everybody loved the dog. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, the, yeah. The, well, dog well. Was, the dog was the breakaway character in the movie. Everybody loved the dog. I, you know, as somebody who's a huge fan of what's called the Wayland Utani canon, which is the whole kind of predator alien world. I, just, I, I thought it was original. I thought, you know, I'm not an expert in native American culture, but from what I understand it, 
treated kind of the Comanche backstory with a great deal of reverence. So Yeah, well, Paul, we just mentioned it with Kristen. You're mentioning it now. And then we just got this comment from Ariana who writes, My newly crowned favorite this summer is Prey, which just came out on Hulu, a prequel for the Predator franchise. Native American lead actress Amber Midthunder kicking Predator butt. Loved it. And I'm not even a sci-fi person like that. But the story, the suspense, so good. I wish I could watch it for the first time all over again. So thanks for that, Paul. Uh, And thanks, Ariana. And thank you, listeners. We're talking about summer movies. What makes a summer movie for you and the summer movies you liked this year and in years past? We're talking with Dave Schilling, a contributing writer for LA Times Image. Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Felicia Viator, Associate Professor of History at San Francisco State University. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And Vasuda writes, the best summer movie of all summer movies, Minions. I may have lost brain cells in the theater, but an excellent 90-minute watch. And uh, Sarah tweets, Breaking Away, still one of my favorites, saw it when it came out. And I was 13. Okay. So if summer movies are romance, escape, horror, for teen boys, (laughs) so on and so on, what is fall? Like, Kristen Meinzer, fall is more cerebral? I think so. And I think that the um, studios are thinking more in terms of what might win me awards, Mm. not what can I export to another country and get millions of people in the theater so much as, you know, what is going to get a little bit more respect? What's going to end up on a nomination list? And so in fall, we see that shift happening. And uh, I love all kinds of movies. I really, really do. I, I, I love a summer blockbuster, but it is always fun to see in the fall what do these studios think is worthy of an Oscar? What do they think is worthy of a Golden Globe? And and I love seeing that shift. And what are you looking forward to seeing? Do you have something already on your theatrical slate or streaming slate that you're looking forward to? Gosh, there are so many movies I am looking forward to. But I'm trying to even narrow it down to one, which I I really am having a hard time doing there. Oh, God. No worries. Take, take <laughs> My your head time. is so much in summer movies right now. <laughs> right. It's if hard one for me comes to, think. to you, let us know. I don't know, Dave or Felicia, if you have a fall movie that you are thinking about and can't wait to see. Uh, Black Panther, the new one, Wakanda uh-huh. Forever. Can't wait for that. I think it's coming out in about two months. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see um, the new movie, um, um, the the new movie in the Halloween franchise, Halloween Ends. I don't I don't know why I'm still I'm still buying into this franchise, but I, I, I love I love the Halloween films. That's awesome. Let me go to Christopher in San Francisco. Hi, Christopher. Hi, good morning. I hear you talked about this earlier. I missed it, but uh Nope was absolutely my favorite movie of the summer. We just saw it this past weekend. I thought it was such a perfect movie and such a great representation of, you know, different identities without making it all about that. Um and just full of surprises, was on my edge of the seat the whole time and Loved like people around me gasping. I'm grabbing my husband's leg, gasping. It was a it was a great ride. Thanks, Christopher. God, what has Jordan Peele figured out, Dave Schilling? I, I mean, he's figured it out. I mean, I think it's because the images in his films are so visceral and get under your skin. You know, the idea of a a a, a primate on the loose 
is so terrifying. But then he doesn't show you the obvious close-ups of the gore. When when Gordy the monkey goes uh, goes ape, so to speak, on the set of the television show, he does, you don't see it all. You don't see him chewing on that woman's face or 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 like close-ups of of skulls being bashed in. You get hints of it, and then um, you have the coverage on the little boy's face underneath the table. It's suggestion of horror, suggestion of fear. The, I think the scariest part of the entire movie of Nope is when the, the, the alien sucks all the people up, and they're, they're being digested, and you, you hear their screams. And then when the ship, fly, or the alien, it's not a ship, as they say in the movie, when the, when the alien flies by, you still hear their screams. Every time the, 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 the alien comes back into the frame, you hear the screaming. And it's the suggestion of what is being done to them. What are they suffering? That is so brilliant. But also, he puts in this social commentary, which is the bedrock of the horror genre. That's what he's figured out, is that you have to have... Uh, precise and, and and clever satire or social commentary for a horror movie, even the, the silliest slasher, even a Friday the 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street, they have things to say. Yeah. And, and that's what makes a great horror movie. Well, this listener writes, Fire Island, so good. I saw it at the Castro Theater and another listener, ooh, Fire Island, can we get a synopsis? <laughs> Kristen, I think you brought up Fire Island. Do you want to give a quick <laughs> shout out to it or what? Say a few yeah. words about it. Yeah, it's essentially a remake of Pride and Prejudice, but uh, instead of taking place in, you know, that era, in that place, in that time, it's taking place on Fire Island, which is a little island off of Long Island that has been a gay mecca for many, many decades. And uh, the men who go out there, who've been part of a group that go out there, uh, it follows their friendship, but it also follows the sex and the romances that they have over the course of that summer. And, you know, maybe somebody who seems ill-suited, maybe the perfect man, and <laughs> Maybe somebody who seems perfect might not be perfect at all. So, you know, it's 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 all those romantic tropes. You probably know the story from beginning to end before you even start it. But it's so delightfully acted. It does such a beautiful job of capturing the place and the space. And all the acting's terrific. And, and just it's so nice also to see such a diverse cast. It's so great to see gay people centered of all races, sizes, and so on. So I just, I loved Fire Island. Well, Judy writes, Greece. We just lost an icon of my youth, Olivia Newton-John. I swooned over both Newton-John's and John Travolta's characters as a 10-year-old when it came out. Great music, so much fun. Yes, we did lose Olivia Newton-John yesterday. She died at the age of 73, and Greece was a summer movie hit. So we will go out with a little of that music, a little nod to Olivia Newton-John and Greece. Thank you, Kristen Meinzer of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, and Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image, and Felicia Vitor, professor at San Francisco State, for all of your summer picks and analyses. And thanks to our listeners for sharing theirs and... Thank you to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.